There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Dragoncast, home of House of the Dragon. Gather your small council, send out your ravens and call in your bannermen. I'm Hand of the King Jamie East, here to guide you through the insane world of Westeros and beyond. Why, hello there, Dragoncast listeners. How are you doing? It's Jamie here. I am on my own for this special bonus episode of Dragoncast. Earlier on this week, uh, I had the extreme good fortune to catch up with Shope Dirisu. You'll know Shope from, I would imagine, from the Sky Atlantic series Gangs of London, which has just launched maybe a couple of weeks ago uh, with season two. And it's insane. It's bloodthirsty, it's violent, it's cinematic, it's exciting. It's everything you want from, I guess, a British gangster drama, really. It's one of the best kind of Sky original series that's ever, ever been made. Uh, series one was just phenomenal. And series two picks up exactly where it left off with, I would add, some major, major twists. And I know as uh, as Game of Thrones and House of Dragon fans, we all love a bloody twist. And you know what else we love? We love a familiar face. Catelyn Stark's in this, for goodness sake. Michelle Farley's in this. Now, the reason I'm speaking to Shoppe is, apart from the fact that Gangs of London is extraordinary and you should all watch it immediately, is that he is a huge, huge Game of Thrones fan. And uh, I saw him tweeting and Instagramming all about uh, House of the Dragon, how much he was enjoying it. And uh, thought, you know what? I chanced my elbow. Got in touch with Sky, said, you know what? I like you, you like me. I like Gangs of London. I bloody love House of the Dragon. Shoppe loves House of the Dragon. He's in bloody Gangs of London. And they were like, you know what, Jamie? Great idea. So this is the result of that. A little chat that I had with him about all things Gangs of London with plenty of House of the Dragon thrown in. If you're new to Dragoncast, well, first of all, hello. Thanks for listening. We are home of House of the Dragon, but obviously we're in between seasons of House of the Dragon. So we are filling our time with a whole ton of other stuff as well. We've got Gangs of London. We're going to do Last of Us, blah, 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 blah. Best thing to do is go back and listen to the last episode that Chris Mandel and I talked about and and set the scene for what's going to happen over the next 12 months. Right, enough of my rambling. Here's Shoppe. Shoppe, welcome to Dragoncast. How are you doing, mate? I'm great. It's really great to be here. Thank you for having me. No, not at all. Uh, Before we get into anything else, who the hell edits your Instagram reels? That's what I want to (laughs) know. That one was particularly good, wasn't it? You got some you got some skills. Is that you? It's half me and then half a very lovely friend and his team who's helped nice. me out. Nice. I like you got you gotta keep on top of the socials. I mean, I was looking through you got a you got a fair few going on there. When you know, when we get the Shoppe looks, when we get the premier looks going on, it was there was a good Well now that I know you like it, I'm just sure to make some more. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of thought. I think one of them started with you waking up in the morning in bed. It was it was you had a whole narrative going on. It was, it was fantastic. <laughs> good fair. Fun, though, you know, like you don't want your life to 
be dominated by like the lens of social media, but it is also nice to be able to share like your successes with a wider audience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, are you a bit of a musician? What we got going on there? We got a bit of a setup. Oh, well, behind yeah, there's a, there's a bass, there's a keyboard, there's an acoustic over there. Nice. But <laughs> they're gathering dust. I used to play like quite prolifically, and nowhere near on top of my practice as I used to be. The, the lockdown drum kit is uh, yeah. <laughs> is now is now a, is now a cat bed. Yeah, exactly. Sure. <laughs> Uh, listen, I was sat behind you at the uh, at the premiere of uh, Gangs of London season two a couple of weeks ago. What a what a crazy night that was! It was beautiful, man. It was like because obviously the first time we came out in 2020, we came out in the middle of a lo- pandemic lockdown, so we didn't have that moment of like celebration, that moment of like, oh, we've you know we're presenting this thing to the world. It just came out, but it didn't mean that everybody got to see it. You know, people yeah. didn't really have to do, so they tuned into Gangs of London. It was great. I remember. I remember when it came out. It was it was kind of just felt like a real. It was like, ah, here's something we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. We've, we've, we've got all the time in the world. And I think I, I tweeted about, was it episode four of season one where it really all kicks off? Was that where the, there's like a siege? Which, oh, was that's it episode, five. episode five. I had not seen a show, a, a sequence like that on television for a long, long time. That was insane. It was crazy. Yeah, that's Gareth that is in his prime, you know. I was actually just quite annoyed that I didn't get to be a part of that <laughs> mass up but uh, I got my action, you know. So, Shoppy, we are predominantly, uh, you know, the, the, the clues in the name Dragoncast. Uh, we've just come off the back of, of House of the Dragon season one. Were you a fan? Did you watch it? Were you into it? I was actually at the, I was blessed enough to be at the premiere of House of the Dragon. Oh, it was a good night, wasn't it? Oh, that was a good night. That was an excellent night. Yeah. And I went there with my little, you know, Hand of the King badge as well. Oh, here he is. Yeah. Around somewhere. I've got mine up here as well. Yeah, I've got mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got all of my um, Game of Thrones books stacked behind me, as you can see. Look at that. There you go. But um, yeah, I was, I, I mean, I'm sure everybody in the world was concerned that are we going to get more like the last two series of, of Game of Thrones, you know? Yeah. In the first episode, Miguel had very different things in mind. Oh, what a relief. It was such a, I tell you what, it was such a relief. It's so like heartening to know that, oh, we were like teased back into recommitting to this world, to the world of Westeros, and they delivered so beautifully throughout the season. Yeah. You know, one of the things I loved so much about this season of House of the Dragon, I say this season because it's still Game of Thrones world in my head, but yeah. House of the Dragon particularly is like, I really cared about all of the political movements, the things that Alicent was doing to like ostracize Rhaenyras and all of the politics seemed really juicy, really important. And I was so engaged the whole way through. I, I, yeah, I really loved this season. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact, and, and Gangs of London is in a similar situation. Now that we kind of know the world, and once you get a feeling for the universe, you know what to look out for, and you know what, mm-hmm. you know, when Game of Thrones first came along, like 10, 12 years ago, we didn't really know what to expect. We didn't know what to kind of like follow. We weren't used to these kind of like slow burning political intrigue, but done in a fantasy land. Whereas like now, we know that there's, you know, we keep saying on the podcast, there's not a shot wasted. If Someone mm-hmm. does. If someone says something in in episode one, you can bet your ass that in episode ten they'll go. You go. Ah, 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 I remember. I remember. And and that's the same with Gangs of London. There was a moment which, for people that haven't kind of caught up and and got stuck into season two yet, there's a moment at the end of episode two of season two mm-hmm. where it's just like, holy shit, this is what, how, why, what, what is going on here? And so oh, you, yeah, the response at the oh. premiere when that moment happened, you know, it was crazy. To put to put it into context it, it was a proper kind of um ned stark kind of moment where it's just like ah anything can happen here mm-hmm. anything can happen 
clearly there's a there is a direct link between gangs of london and game of thrones because you have a stark in your midst yes we do. and we're oh. so blessed to have her I mean, I mean michelle fairley is one of the greatest actors that we've ever had and she was so good she was so good as catelyn and now she's equally as good but in a completely different way as marianne in gangs of london what's she what's she like i was a little bit scared of her i never got to meet her like through through working on thronecast or anything because she was long gone by the time it really really exploded but her and and lena heady who played cersei always a little bit scared i'm quite happy i, I didn't ever have to interview them because i was a little bit nervous about them <laughs> you know i haven't had that many scenes with uh, michelle over the course of the two seasons and uh a part of me is a little bit grateful for it for the, exactly the same reason yeah. just like this aura they're just such powerful women and powerful actresses and the performance that she delivers this year like i think wrongly so she went a bit under the radar in the first series right because there was like uh, it was very dominated by the ghost of finn and sort of like how the sons were responding to that but this year she really is quite front and center of the story and the performance that she gives is just so remarkable i'm not sure that i could stand up next to it if i was in a scene with her so i'm happy to sort of like oscillate around her for the time <laughs> being you know Again, there's so many similarities between Gangs of London and, and Dragon. It, you know, it's a, it's a huge ensemble cast. It's a sprawling kind of story, you know, involving different locations, different characters, different subplot lines all kicking off. What's the ensemble cast like to work with? Is it, it like you say, you didn't get to work with Michelle that much. Do you, do you kind of like flit about or is there, or is it quite self-contained in your kind of units? Yeah, I suppose like, especially the character of Elliot, because he's such a lone wolf, that's his MO throughout the whole series. I don't have family units in the way that you get the Wallaces or the Algerians. Like when they came in this year, uh, Jazz Armando, Fadiel Sayed, Ayman Hamdouchi, like, and the rest of the, the Salem as well, they all work together and they really bonded together as a unit. You can see in their social medias that they'd like go out together afterwards or they'd like be looking out for each other on set. So I had a lot more of a general experience with the cast, but it meant that I got to meet more people and like every single actor that I worked with, like was such a beautiful connection, you know? I hate to keep coming back to it, but the premiere was an absolute massive love-in of the cast with each other. You know? It was great. There's such great respect, and like I think we really all cherish each other so much. I'm like desperate to get more scenes with Orly as Luan or Nargis as uh, Lale, or as I've said, <laughs> Michelle as Marion. Like I just want to work with everybody because everyone's so good. Yeah, yeah. Did it feel different coming into season two, knowing that you that you had a hit on your hands? It must have it must have been great in one sense, but then oh my god, how the hell do we how the hell do we keep this going? You know what? I've had this question quite a lot, and genuinely for me, and it might be different for how I felt and how the cast felt compared to how production felt. Maybe production was just like, oh my god, we have to keep this going. How do we like harness the excellence of the first series? But for me, it was like making the first one, Gareth especially, it was just like this is what I like. I want to make something that I enjoy creating and like stimulating me. And then we'll see if the rest of the world love it. And they did. So it was, I think it was really edifying and reassuring that there, there were people out there who had a taste for this thing that we wanted to make. And so we just went out to make more of it as opposed to like the pressure being on, you know? I think it, the success gave us a freedom to go even further. And Corin really does in the second series, you know? He takes Gareth's sort of like child and raises it. You know, he goes deeper and bigger and broader and bloodier, definitely. But um, yeah, I, I would like to think that the majority of us felt empowered by the success more so than daunted by it. One thing that I, I really enjoy about Gangsland is, the, is, and I don't know what it is, and you know, you'll know far better than me, 
I, I think it's like it, it'll be there'll be some cinematographic phrase for it. Normally, normally when shows are made in the UK, they look a certain way. Yeah. Whereas, like, you go and watch The Sopranos, or you watch The Wire, or you watch even something like Hill Street Blues. You know, go. They look American. They have this kind of like cinematic feel to them. And Gangs of London ha- has that kind of uh, visual quality, which kind of it makes it look expensive and it makes it look sexy and kind of like. A, do you know what I mean? What is what is that? What am I describing? Do you know? I don't know exactly. Someone once upon a time told me it was to do with the lighting and how much care is given to like lighting a scene well. But I think also maybe it is expensive cameras or like really high quality DOPs. Um, But I remember the first series at the rap party of that, they showed us sort of like a sizzle reel or like a a quick cut edit of the season. Look at the work that we've done. And when I saw how glossy it was, I was just like, yo, this is not what I thought I was working on. Yeah, yeah. That's another sort of parallel between the two. There's so much, well, I mean, there's a lot of VFX and a lot of green screen in both of the shows. But I can imagine that you really do just have to trust the creative team and be like, hey, I'm giving you this performance. Um, Please look after it and please make it a part of this great thing. But yeah, I can imagine it was not the same, but it's similar to when, you know, Millie saw herself riding the dragon for the first time. Like, yeah, it's like, oh my God, thank God it looks good. Pretty yeah. good, you know? <laughs> yeah. That was a guy holding a tennis ball on a fishing rod the last time I saw it, yeah. Crazy, yeah. I mean, clearly there's a lot of visual effects and stuff in Gangs of London because it is so bloodthirsty and, and there's a particular, I think episode one or episode two, there's a, there's someone falls off something and it's, it's kind of like pretty bleak. How, how is that? You know, because and there's a great saying that Ewan McGregor played Obi-Wan Kenobi for the first time. He kept, they had to tell him to shut up because he kept making the lightsaber sounds. Yeah, like, sure. <laughs> You know, when you've got, are you a bit, it's like, I would love to say that I'm not, no, I'm totally a professional, but of course, like, I leave that all up to the sound department. But there's a big uh, shootout sequence that happens in episode seven, I believe. And there's definitely a take. And I'm so glad that uh, the BTS team haven't put it out there of me going, bang, 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 bang. And they're like, Amazing. no, 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 shop it, it's a take. Like, it's not a rehearsal, it's, it's bra, bra, bra. Why are you yeah, doing exactly. that? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I've definitely fallen foul of the, the lightsaber noises myself. As, a, as an actor, it must be it must be great to get a series like Gangs of London. Something that it must it must feel quite meaty on the page. You must look at this and go, "Oh, Elliot's such a is like the perfect character to get, isn't he? Is is such a dude? He's like brooding. He's a little bit of a bad boy. The girls love him. You know, he's got all of that. He's got every quality. Really annoying fucker, really, isn't he? Um, <laughs> But, but for an actor to kind of go like, oh my God, I'm going to, this is, this is me. I'm going to be, I'm literally going to be George Clooney. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about when you, when you first, when you first read for him. Well, I mean, like I wasn't seeing the Thrones in the first time round and I needed something juicy to get my <laughs> team to do something really sexy in it and violent and excellent. And then this came along and you know what it was? I think it was a scale, the ambition that they had with the script. You could see it on the page that like there was real opera to the direction that they wanted to go in with gangs. And like you said, Elliot was a chameleon, this man who moved through the shadows and into the light and sort of like was many things to many different people, kind of like a faceless man. I'm sorry yeah. to keep like, <laughs> no, no, keep, references keep, keep bringing it in, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, there's definitely a, there's an obvious duality to him because for those who haven't seen the first season, like he is working undercover. And that was such a challenge. It was like, it was so exciting to be able to be like, okay, who am I to this person? Who do I need to present now? And like the many faces of Elliot Finch was, was, um, 
excellent to sort of like get my head around. But yeah, I'll go back to the opera and the scale of Games of London is not something that I experienced in British TV at all. And then, yeah, Thrones was the next best thing. We'll be right back after a word from these generic adverts. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. UK drama feels like it's on the crest of a wave. It's it's always felt like the underdog for for such a long time, you know, up against like up against all of your HBO and in America and things like Gamora from Italy and all of these kind of shows. Whereas now, you know, we've got Gangs of London and Peaky's as well, and all these all these kind of shows that are really holding their own. And Top Boy is another one. Mm-hmm. London, even though it's one of the biggest, most cosmopolitan cities in the world, hasn't really had its story told in a modern day setting that often, has it really? And hey, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that Gangs of London is the uh, the, the biography of London through our eyes. It's definitely still heightened fantasy. But um, I couldn't tell you exactly what the answer to that was, you know. I think there's obviously this, like, I like to call it a platinum age of television because you've had a golden age and a silver age and all of that stuff. But yeah, yeah. what's the next most precious moment? We'll get to an adamantium one at some point. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think it's just this real reinvestment and like the streamers allowing us to binge long stories over like eight hours in one day as opposed to just like having to wait eight weeks, which I've got my own gripes with. But Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. My Gangs of London this season two has stopped my son doing his uh, drama project for, for college next week because he's literally sat on his arse all week in his tracky bottoms watching it. Hopefully it'll inspire his project rather than like... I, I hope so. But how do you feel about it? Because I'm I'm slightly mixed. As a, as, from a viewer, when I'm watching as a fan, the last thing I... I watched The Bear. Um, oh, yeah, I'm doing that at which, the moment. Which was good. And I, I really enjoyed testing how many I could pace myself with and maybe like do two a night over a period of time. But as a, I guess as someone who works a bit on, on Game of Thrones and, and stuff like that, I do prefer the weight and the dissection. You know, there'd be no spin-off. There'd be no spin-off shows, no after-show discussions if every show was kind of like thrown out there. Mm-hmm. 
all at once. So I really enjoyed having that time in between House of the Dragon to discuss it. Now, you guys have got your own podcast where I guess you do that as well. So the Gangs of London official podcast has that. And that's that's presented by Corin, who's the director of the four of the episodes from, from season two, right? Mm-hmm. I also tried to do like a, a live tweet along, you know, over the weekend when I was watching it with my family. And I realised that the event of a show is so great. People are like, oh, we've got to wait a whole week to look forward to it, having all those theories. And th- there's a real discourse about the, the show. And then there's an event yeah, whenever yeah. we sit down and watch it together, this like communal activity. It's almost a bit like theatre. Yeah. Like you have to be there at this time. And yes, you, it can be recorded. You can catch it afterwards. But I remember like the desperation in the UK when it came out, uh, like the day after when, Thrones, when it was Thrones. And like, I don't want to hear any spoilers. I want to hear, I'm going to watch it tonight at nine. Yeah, and then yeah. like, being a wash afterwards we try and harness it as much as possible with the podcast but you really lose like the community of the show when it mm. all comes out at once and hey get, I, I think there are different shows different shows want to be released in different ways yeah, and I yeah. think one of the best ways of doing it is the way that um, Last Dance or I May Destroy You did it uh, mm. during the pandemic where they give you two so you get that feeling of binging yeah yeah, you, yeah. yeah. you get two and you, you can pace it out as much as you want but you're only going to have these two and make it last as long as you like, you know? Yeah. It's a tricky one. Yeah, it is a tricky one. I, I can see why, I can see why channels do it. I can see why, why Gangs of London dropped all at once because, yeah, it's had my son watching Sky for sure. tw- 12 hours in, mm-hmm. as, as in, in half a day, you know? It, so I can, I can see the attraction there, but I think, I guess the more complex the story, the more I think we need to do the viewers a stand up by allowing them the time to think about what they watched. Because mm-hmm. if you're watching three episodes on the bounds, by the time you get to the end of the third, I bet your arse you can't remember really the intricacies of what happened in the first one you watched. That's the that's the problem, I guess. But yeah. but like I say, you've got the podcast that you can dip into as well. So I guess that that's something, isn't it? That, and that that works. Did you record that whilst you were making it? I mean, I think I've only been on one, and uh, I actually recorded it with a different host during like the junket days. I haven't listened to the back yet, so I don't know how what the format of it is. I don't know if it follows you episode by episode. I think it does. Uh, I'm sure we'll get told. Otherwise, we'll, we'll end up cutting this out if we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I did way more research on House of the Dragon than I did on Game of Thrones. So this is fun. But um, yeah, if, if it is doing that, that's great. But yeah. like we've said, you don't get the moment to be like, oh, I've just watched this episode, I'll listen to the podcast and soak it all in before yeah. I go again. Or you listen to stuff on two, like when you finish eight and yeah, it's all out of, all out of whack. So you're clearly a massive Thrones fan. Did you audition? Were you up for it? Did you? No. Because you're still you're still a baby. You're only what thirty one, something like that, something yeah, disgusting yeah. like that. You got you got years to go yet. A baby recently, so I appreciate you um, reminding me of my youth. <laughs> my body tells me otherwise very often. How old? How old is your baby? Uh, no, no, as in my body. Oh, I see. I thought you said just just had a baby. Your body's telling you otherwise. Uh, right? Yeah, okay, my yeah. body reminds me. But yeah, no, I didn't get to audition for the first chunk of thrones all of those series and i think uh one of the things that i've really enjoyed this year and i'm sure loads of people from lots of global majority communities has is the representation in this uh series yeah, you yeah. know the whole, um valerian household and the, all, a lot of the maesters being more diversely cast yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah it's been excellent to see myself my community my skin color reflected in a show that i've really really loved and also in such a badass way as well, because Corlys Velaryon is an, is an absolute dude. You know what? If they ever do like a flashback, you know when they flash back at the end of uh, Thrones and so a younger Ned so you can see... Yeah, uh, yeah. If I'm not playing 
call it. And I, if I'm not playing the younger Steve, like someone's going to be in trouble. I don't know who I need to tell now, but yeah, I need yeah. those platinum dreadlocks. Get Billy Ocean on the phone, find out where his barber is and get it, <laughs> get it sorted. Absolutely. But yeah, no, I mean, like, he is an excellent character. Excellent. And I'm looking forward to seeing how, well, I want to say the House of Valarian develops, but for those of us who have seen the finale, they're lacking heirs at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, so anyone that's listening to this will have, you know, is, is completely up up to date on everything. So don't, don't worry about spoilers. But yeah, it's um, it's looking like it's going to get pretty messy, right? What's your mm. what's your feeling after after the last shot with Emma's kind of that one shot was just incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, but also like the the scene that that informs that final scene. It's one of the most beautiful deaths I think I've ever seen. Yeah on screen like above the clouds and like both of those boys knowing that it reminded me of uh something that sarah said really early on is like people think that we get our power because of the dragons and like they're completely that like we control because we control dragons it's like yeah, they're completely yeah. wrong. dragons control us and then remind like you were saying like no frame or line is wasted we're reminded of that in the very final penultimate sequence of the, of the series and i was just like oh my god Oh my God. And then Ewan's face playing Eamon, where he was just like, no, listen to me. And after the deed is done, like him looking back at the wreckage that he's left behind was like, that is one of my favourite shots of the series. But then, like you said, Emma's performance of that final moment and letting us know the carnage that is about to ensue. We were talking about it when we were watching it because like, what was excellent about that character and what I say about the politics of it is, um, you know, Rhaenerys was like, actually, what's best for the kingdom? My father charged me to protect the kingdom. And actually, if going to war is not good. So maybe I do need to relinquish that. And then it became personal. You know, as Michael Jordan says, I took that personally. Yeah. And like this this battle of how much these mothers love their children. Uh, yeah, it's, gonna, it's about to get out of hand. As an actor, talk me, talk me through the composition of, of a shot like that. So I've read, you know, Matt's talked about it and Emma has talked about it. It was a one track shot and, and it was Matt Smith's idea to keep his back to the camera and for Emma to keep their back to the camera so that everything was just in your mind. Mm-hmm. And that was, and they said they took days or maybe it was like an entire day to do that one shot. So they were blocking it out and, and they had to kind of like work out where every kind of person was putting their drink and, and all this, all this, that, and the other. As an actor, how do you keep those things fresh when you're planning something like that? I mean, I guess that's just the gig, right? That's your job. It's like saying to an accountant, how do you, how do you add up? But, <laughs> but, but it, I always try that and just think, my God, there's so much to think about. Do you have marks on the floor? Do you kind of like, how often do you fuck up? And it's just like, oh man, the extra just walked a bit too far there. And it would drive me crazy. I think that the thing that keeps you in it is knowing what you're aiming for. And I think that's like really great direction and really great teamwork. We all know what we're trying to achieve and we know it's going to be fucking amazing if we do it. So let's all just like keep playing our part, keep persevering with it. And I suppose when you're rehearsing, you're not holding the tension of the story that you're telling. It's literally like a technical rehearsal. And um, in, in shots like that, you very often can't have marks because the camera sees too much, you know? Right, okay. So then you have to start taking marks off the cobbles in the floor, you know? <laughs> just like your own mental kind of like, yeah, oh, it's, it's one cobble, one cobble to the left. Sometimes like I will do it like like a run-up and I'll do it backwards and be like, this is what I can see on my journey. Like, okay, cool. I'll walk it myself a few times. And I think if everyone's doing that, rehearsing by themselves, so when they come back, it's like playing in a band, you know? Yeah. Everybody learns their parts and then we fine-tune how we all fit together. 
But yes, it can be so like you, you're right at the end of the shot and then someone's cup spills over and you're just like, Jesus Christ, why? What's wrong with people? Um, but yeah, We've been doing it 11 hours. Take, take 72. <laughs> yeah. Oh my Did goodness. you get him out of here? I don't want to see him. I don't want to see him again. You know. Now you've read, as you said, you've got all the books there. Are you up to speed on on the Dance of the Dragons? Do you know Do you know where everyone's uh, fate lies? You know what? No, I'm not because I was so furious that A Song of Ice and Fire wasn't finished. Right. I was just like, I'm not reading anymore until you finish the story. Don't give me prequel and the yeah. story's not finished. So like, I'm actually able to watch it all on screen. But then I don't know. Like, there were so many changes from A Song of Ice Fire to Game of Thrones. Yeah. I don't know what I'm missing out on or what I should already well, know. From what I gather, because I refuse to read the books at all, because I, I think it would just absolutely fuck with my head trying to trying to sure. do this gig. From what I gather, the book that the, the House of Dragons based on it's more historical kind mm-hmm. of like there's, it's quite thin and it's told from the point of view of three maesters, I think, but all telling it from their point of view. So there are conflicting versions of events that are going on. So I think which has given Ryan Condor like just kind of carte blanche to kind of like yeah, I'll take a bit of that. I'll take a bit of that. I'll take mm-hmm. a bit of that. I mean, he is a genius writer, George, isn't he? He is. That, oh, the fallibility of memory and that being a whole device for like making this historical account. It sounds like the beginning of the book of Matthew, you know, and so-and-so was the son of so-and-so and so-and-so was the son of so-and-so. But then to make that interesting, be like, oh, well, there's a gap here where people have like made it up. Yeah. It's genius. It's really, really clever. Really clever. Yeah, the universe building is completely beyond me. But I wish you'd choose some different names. I think that was the one thing that we've kind of like, everyone's egg on, everyone's Viserys, everyone's, there's a Joffrey. It's like, come on. But I suppose we've got Henry VIII, so. This is true. Yeah, this is absolutely true. What are your, what are your hopes from House of the Dragon season two then? What what are you, what are you expecting? I mean, it's, it's war, right? Who's, who's the one to watch? I mean, I'm gonna. I'm trying to pick someone like left the field, but um, Matthew Needham's character. Oh, Laris. Yeah, he's freaky as fuck, man. And I just, <laughs> I love how obviously he's a bit like Varys and he's a bit like Littlefinger, but he's just way more dangerous. You know. Yeah. Well, he's got nothing to lose. I think it's always there's he's literally got nothing to lose. He was like, it's the, which is a little bit like Tyrion was as well with his in, in that kind of setting in that era and in that world, people with disabilities just unless you were from royalty didn't stand a hope in hell. And but even Tyrion had to fight against preconceptions. So with with Laris's club foot, yeah. you know, he's obviously cast aside. So then he offed his dad and his and his handsome stronger brother and. and- like, I don't know, um, it reminds me of a character called De Flores in a play, a Jacobean play called The Changeling. And that's like right. for all of the thespians out there who study drama. But the, the, the hold that he has over Alison is like uncomfortable at the best of times, you know? Yeah, without, without the foot fetish, yeah. Yeah, how he's going to manoeuvre her, what he wants, like what does this guy want? If we know what he wants, then maybe we can give it to him and get rid of him. But I think he just, he's now... A, part of her fabric well yeah it's difficult to see who's who's playing who in that dynamic isn't mm-hmm. it i guess you know he's they seem to both be getting something from it it's pretty clear what laris is getting from it and alison is also getting people killed and uh, someone doing doing her bidding but then we saw at the end of there was a good scene between laris and otto where laris was like if you tell me what you want alison to do i can i can steer that i can steer that ship as well so he's he's playing everybody but like the, the character of the flaws that I mentioned earlier, yes, he got rid of the people that the main character, the changing, wanted to. And then eventually, like when it became time to pay a tax, it was her whole self that he wanted, not just her feet. So like, yeah, he started there. But I think 
What more does he want? What more will right. he want? And if he can get that from Allison, what can he get from Otto? Like the, the, the lack of knowing what his his final form or his great game plan is, that makes him yeah terrifying to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna offer him some advice. Don't try and wank over Reciffins' feet. I think that will end <laughs> badly for you. <laughs> just just, a, but um, it's it's gonna be incredible. And what what's next for you? What are you up to at the moment? What projects you got? Because uh, you had a film out recently as well, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Malcolm's List came out um, earlier in the, towards the back end of the summer. Um, that was lovely to do. Uh, that was a lockdown job as well. I'm currently working on an Apple Plus TV project. Oh, check you out. <laughs> Cheers. I bet the catering's great on there, isn't it? I'm just doing all the jobs I can get, you know. I'll <laughs> work with let me. <laughs> But this year has definitely been a bit more about enjoying the fruits of previous labours rather than labouring itself. So there isn't like a massive slate of things that's coming out, but I've been able to really enjoy the success of the work that I've done so far this year. And that's been really lovely. And do, have we heard anything about uh, season three of Gangs of London yet? Are they keeping it quiet or is, you know... I, I haven't heard anything myself. <laughs> I mean, they'd be mad not to, wouldn't they? I mean, you have to give the people what they want, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's all they need. It's all, it's all viewers want. Just give us what we want. Listen, Chopin, thanks so much. And I got I, I did this whole interview and I didn't ask you about James Bond, so I think I deserve a bit of credit for that. <laughs> well, I appreciate your restraint. <laughs> <laughs> but it, thank you so much. It's so good to speak to a fellow fellow Thrones fan. And uh, I'm sure we'll speak this time n- next year or maybe in a couple of years when we're talking about season two, House of the Dragon, and season three of uh, Gangs of London. Well, I just hope that one of these days we have a chat from the perspective of me being part of the cast, you know? Exactly. That, that will make my dreams come true. Exactly. Toussaint, if you're listening, it's your <laughs> younger self. I Get hope it. so, man. I love him. I love his work. Brilliant. Take care, Shopee. Thanks for speaking to us. Thank you. Bye. Do you think you know this world you're in? I've seen things you haven't. You know how it feels to be powerless. To be a pawn in someone else's game. things it makes you do. What does it feel like to be a king? The city's changed. The investors have a new player. He has a major stake in this town now. Manpower. Allies. He's not to be underestimated. Elliot's back. I want them to know fear. To feel powerless. If you'd like to get involved in the podcast, just head over to Twitter at DragonCast underscore pod or email DragonCast at DaftDoris.com and leave us your Easter eggs, predictions and thoughts on the show. You can also watch this episode over on our YouTube channel. Just search for DragonCast Jamie East. Any support, whether it's a follow, a share, a mention to your friend on the bus or a tattoo on your backside is very much appreciated. DragonCast is hosted by me, Jamie East, along with Chris Mandel and is a Daft Doris production. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 